This is Point of View with Chris Berg. Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us. Coming up here in just a moment, North Dakota Representative Ben Koppelman is going to join us. He's got a bill he's proposing that would allow workers to say no to their companies because they're going to say, hey, companies cannot force people or employers uh, to get vaccinated, or employees, I should say, to get vaccinated. So stick around for that. Plus, you've got some other interesting bills as well when it comes to social media and much, much more. Now, earlier today, President Joe Biden released his national COVID plan to help, obviously, mitigate and eradicate this COVID situation across our great country. What I want to share with you tonight is just over the next few months, pay close attention to the COVID case numbers. I think right now we're roughly at around 24 million. And I bring this up not because you're, you, you may, you may see a precipitous drop in COVID cases over the next few months. He's talked about a dark winter, so I think you're gonna see it fairly steady. But even Dr. Fauci today, today we're starting to see that seven day average sort of flatten out a little bit. And I'm bringing this up not because there's gonna be a precipitous drop in actual COVID cases. What might be happening is there could be a change and testing protocol, which will dramatically change, obviously, the positive cases for COVID. Here's what I mean specifically. You may remember if you watch Point of View regularly, it was a few months ago, the, the New York Times of all places, the, the New York Times put out a story where they were looking at three different states. It was Massachusetts, Nevada, and New York, and there was they were using what are called PCR tests. And I'll get into some details here in a moment. I'm not going to get too technical tonight, but they're using these PCR tests. And what they found is that there was roughly 40,000 people that tested positive for COVID via these PCR tests. Well, the problem is, is that when they actually went in and, and dived into these PCR tests, because they have a thing called cycle thresholds. Again, I don't want to get too technical, but the higher the CTs it's called, then the more likely you are to have a positive COVID case. So they start diving into these tests and they realize like, wait a second, out of these 40,000 positives, only roughly 4,000 people actually had enough viral load to be contagious, to go and pass COVID on to somebody else. So pay attention to this because here's what's fascinating. It was one hour. Remember, Joe Biden signs an executive order to put us back in the World Health Organization. One hour after Joe Biden was sworn in, well, the World Health Organization put out on their website, hey, lab techs, just so you know, these PCR tests, you might want to take a second look, or if you get a positive, just make sure you're diving into this information a little bit more because they know what's been happening is these cycle thresholds have been set so high that they're getting a bunch of false positives. So folks, what we've been doing is we've been taking people that don't even have enough viral load to pass COVID on to somebody and asking them now for quite some time to quarantine. Think for a moment when you've got people that don't have enough viral load to actually pass COVID on, we're asking them to go quarantine, what that does to the economy. What's that, what is that doing to the education of our kids? What's that doing to the mental health of all these people that are going through quarantine? And we all see how COVID is impacting so many people. So that came out shortly after Joe Biden was sworn in as president. So the thing that I want you to look for, and again, this is a possibility, watch the COVID cases overall, but more importantly, and we'll keep you abreast of this, is the possibility that the FDA and or the CDC could start to tell these testing companies, hey guys, 
you can now lower your cyclical thresholds. Okay, you can now lower what are called the CTs, and we're going to get a much more accurate account of people who've actually got enough viral load to go and pass COVID on to other people. So pay attention to the case count. We'll keep and pay attention and keep you abreast if there's some changes in how these PCR tests are administered. And what I, I bring this up because what could happen now that Joe Biden's released this national COVID plan is that obviously if we see the case count start to go down dramatically, we all know how the media is going to betray that, right? Oh my goodness, look at this. President Joe Biden's plan, maybe the most effective plan in the world. President Trump should have done this a long time ago. But what they won't tell you about is obviously these CTs, the cyclical thresholds that were producing a bunch of false positives in the first place. So very, very important because, as you can tell, this is the biggest challenge that the Biden administration feels that they face. All right, joining us now live via Skype, North Dakota Representative Ben Koppelman has introduced a bill saying that, hey, look, if, if you are going to be, wow, look at that. <laughs> if you're going to be working at a place, an employer cannot force you to get a vaccine. So Representative Koppelman, great to have you on Point of View. Uh, welcome to the show. Hopefully we can bring him up, guys, but you can let me know. And uh, if not, we'll bring him up here in just a moment via Skype. There he is. Representative Koppelman, so just for our audience, share with us um, exactly what is in this bill. What are you trying to accomplish? Well, what this bill simply says, Chris, is that um, employers need to have some liability protection when it comes to uh, what I call the slip and fall of the COVID uh, pandemic. And that is that people that want to sue because they say they got COVID from your bathroom or your doorknob or your tabletop, things of that nature, it's kind of ripe for abuse. And so many agree that we need to have that sort of protection for businesses. And if we provide that protection for businesses, I contend that businesses have no self-interest in requiring people to rush to take a COVID vaccine or, or any other vaccine that, uh, that they don't feel has been on the market long enough or that they don't believe is good for them. And uh, the rest of the bill just kind of shows how that uh, all works itself out. And so are there going to be any exceptions? Because obviously you look at some long-term care facilities, hospitals, things of that nature. Oftentimes they're requiring people to get vaccinated or take flu shots. Uh, yes, there are. There is essentially one industry that has an exception in the bill. That is the healthcare industry, and that's defined as hospitals, clinics, long-term care, things of that nature. And uh, the way that works is uh, they would not be able to force um, people to have a vaccine unless, number one, they were to identify in writing in their company policy that that's, necess that's, that's necessary. They'd have to review it annually. And then they would have to allow employees that objected to opt out on three criteria. One is re religious reasons, one is medical reasons, and one is philosophical reasons. And uh, it, the bill also says that they can take reasonable protocols to place individuals that uh, maybe chose not to take the, uh, the vaccine that they otherwise would have mandated and, uh, you know, either make them wear extra PPE or put them in another department. Got it. I want to move on because you're part of another uh, what I think is a very, very important bill as well. And this is regarding social media censorship. We all know right now because of certain protections federally that you really have got no recall or any chance for even a civil suit against a social media platform if they censor you. So, number one, tell people a little bit more about the bill specifically. Number two, as a state, will you be able to supersede Section 230 or federal law regarding social media companies? Well, Chris, that's the ability, the uh, beauty of this bill. Uh, this was introduced by Representative Kading in Fargo. I'm a co-sponsor on the bill. 
but the bill is really tailored around what Section 230 allows states to do. It says that uh, those that that um, receive essentially immunity for their behavior, um, that they can be treated a certain way. And so the bill is, is compatible with Section 230. It should not challenge federal law in any way. And at some point, those platforms like uh, Facebook or others, they would have to make a decision. Do they want to maintain being under the, the, the um, umbrella of 230 to keep their immunity and liability protection? Or do they want to have uh, freedom to do what they want, as most businesses would have, and then they would give up that, uh, that immunity and then, uh, and then see where the chips fall? So when you say it's compatible with Section 230, what do you mean specifically? Well, Chris, you know, I, I'm not the author of the bill, so I'm, and, and uh, uh, I'm not an attorney, but my understanding is that when the bill was written, Section 230 um, specifically um, protected, uh, like, electronic media. Um, it was really uh, written at the birth of the Internet and some of the Internet news and things of that nature. And it was designed to protect the media from lawsuit, from liability, from what they were publishing. And so, you know, let's just say, as it might apply to Facebook, if somebody publishes something that somebody else finds offensive, or to say that they believe that person is terrorizing somebody else, or, or whatever the case might be, Section 230 um, would provide liability protection for somebody like Facebook. Now, Section 230 also says for reasonable reasons they can, they can do censorship, but those are listed, and those would not be, you know, do you slant politically right or left or, or uh, you know, limit what people read on hunter biden or something like that it, it wouldn't be like that it would be something that's that's excessively violent or vulgar or or things of those nature so when this when the sites operate outside of those few areas they can censor they it really calls into question why they should have immunity because they're not just a fair and balanced uh, platform for people to share information now they're actually politically twisting the message Boy, there's no doubt about that. I, I want to get your thoughts on this. So part of the bill says this. It says if an interactive computer service provider restricts, censors, or suppresses information that does not pertain to obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, then it goes on to say, or otherwise objectionable subject matter, the interactive computer service provider is liable in civil action. I, I always get a little bit concerned when the government starts to get vague and otherwise objectionable subject matter. Like, how would you define that? Who's going to define that? Well, I don't believe that the bill specifically defines that term. I believe, though, that list you just uh, read is probably right out of Section 230. Um, I think there are some some traditional standards that maybe would define that, um, and I don't think any of them would would fit some of these uh, selective um, censorship, like uh, like of the Hunter Biden as an example. But uh, I think that in order to narrow that tremendously it might require Section 230 to be amended. And I think we're trying very um, diligently to make sure that this bill um, cannot be overturned as being in violation of Section 230. And in some cases, it may not be perfect, but, but it's much better than what we have now. I was going to say, bottom line is you're, you're trying to give people at least some power to push back against these social media companies, at least in a civil lawsuit way, correct? That is, that is correct, yes. Okay. One last thing for you, sir, just because I've had a bunch of people uh, texting me this, and I want to just get your reaction to it. So there's a bill with one of your colleagues, Representative Kempenich, I believe is how you say his name. Correct me if I'm wrong, but where he's asking to get your guys' meals paid for. Um, and I just want to share with you a little bit about what he says specifically in this AP story and give you a chance to react. But uh, 
you know, you guys used to go out of bands, he says, with steak and lobster, with lobbyists. He says now um, he was used to get fancy dinners from lobbyists, but now he's got to eat spaghetti out of a can. Should, should we be paying for your guys' meals with our tax dollars? What say you? Well, Chris, um, part of um, paying for public service, whether it's in the executive branch or the legislative branch, meals have always been a reimbursable expense to a certain dollar amount. I want to say it's like $30 a day total or something like that. And last time I checked, that won't buy any fancy lobbyist-style dinners or anything. But the main reason why we exempted in law the legislative session years ago was because there wasn't a need to go buy meals. You could find a meal anywhere you went. And so with the ethics measure and other things, it, I don't think it's so much of somebody wanting free lunch as just treating when we're here in Bismarck during the session as the same as when we're in the interim where our meals are reimbursed. But don't, don't you guys get like, didn't you just mention a $30 a day per diem or? No, this would be the, I think it's 30. This would be the $30 a day per diem. So law right now says that, that you know, state employees are entitled to that if they're doing work, legislators specifically, um, except if the legislators are during regular session. And the, the reason why that carve out was there originally was because of all the ability to have free food and, and stuff like that. So it's not as much of as it sounds in the article. It's not about an entitlement to have fancy dinners. But, it, you know, everybody's eating away from home. They're not able to just pack a lunch or, or be home for dinner at at 530 like they might be if they were in their hometown. Yeah. And again, it's just the way the AP reported it saying, hey, you know what? I'm going from fancy dinners to spaghetti in a can. It, it probably just didn't <laughs> play well. But. I get your point. Representative Compliment, thanks so much for the time. Uh, I know you guys are working really, really hard, so we look forward to having you back, okay? All right. See you later. Thank you, sir. All right. Please share your point of view with us. A lot to digest there. We, we started the show talking about these PCR tests, false positive, the WHO changing, or I should say making some recommendations an hour after Joe Biden was sworn in. And then you hear now the opportunity there was Representative Ben Compliment and a couple of things that they're working on in the North Dakota legislature. I think you've got to say, hey, kudos to the legislature for standing up when it comes to the censorship aspect, because we've all seen what's been happening as of late with Twitter and Facebook. And I mean, I'll give you a prime example, folks, today with this PCR conversation, right? So people were sending me a bunch of information about it, did my homework on it. There was a fantastic article from Zero Hedge that broke this down, had a bunch of hyperlinks to um, other articles and whatnot. You could, you know, dive in and really do your homework if you wanted to get to the bottom what's happening with the WHO and these PCR tests. And so I went to go post it on Facebook and they're like, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second. And it had to do with the flu because there was a bit about the flu in this article. So that is exactly why I, I tip my hat to the, the legislature for trying to at least give you some recourse as a civilian to say, hey, wait a second, I want to be able to communicate again, as long as it's within certain parameters. All right. So we'd love to know your thoughts on that. It's very easy to share your point of view with us. You can email us, you can text us, you can leave us a voicemail. When we come back, we're going to get to your points of view. Plus, coming at the end of the show, Eugene Grainer, we had another market update for you. We'll share with you some of that coming up later in the show. Stick around.